1: news weather traffic money politics big interviews and bold opinions it's what's happening
2: right now this is mornings with simmy
1: all right time for us to check in with von palmer from the vancouver sun this morning good morning von
2: and good morning simmy
1: look at you here on on boxing day no shopping no lining up at any stores (laughs) nothing like that for
2: you given the choice i would sooner have exploratory dental surgery without anesthetic then go to <laughs> boxing day sales thank you for asking
1: oh okay i was just wondering what you were up to on this uh, boxing day i love I i'm love- reading my christmas books what else of course you are the stack is that all you get under the tree is just book after book out you must be the easiest mm-hmm. person to shop for
2: well, uh, I don't know how challenging it is to find books for me, but uh, my daughter seems to do a terrific job, as is my wife, Dale. So yes, I have a stack of books, and uh, that's what I'm doing.
1: Okay, well, Vaughn's not leaving the house for the next little while then as he reads his books. So let's talk a little politics here. There were some interesting themes that kind of came out of these year-end interviews with the Premier, aren't there?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, we've had politicians in the past who seemed to regard year-end interviews as kind of a chore that they didn't particularly want to give away anything for the new year and didn't say much, but David Eby did uh, free associate in a number of things. Uh, we talked last week about how he acknowledged the government has a problem with cancer care. He talked quite a bit in some year-end interviews about BC Build, which is the big, the next big housing plan that's coming in the new year. I was struck by what he said in his interview with uh, my friend and colleague, Justine Hunter of the Globe and Mail, however, which is Eby expressed profound concern about the way that a court case unfolded in British Columbia earlier this month. So this is the murder case and guilty finding by a jury there involving a 13-year-old. And E.B. commented on comments made by the defense in the case, where the defense insinuated that uh, the thirteen-year-old may have that may not have been as innocent as the crown made her oh, out man. to be, oh. insinuated. You know, I you hate to repeat this stuff because you're revictimizing the victim. But the premier uh, said that uh, the way the case unfolded was. Uh, It didn't give justice to the victim or to her family, and the public was outraged as well. And the Premier said he's going to do something about it, or the Attorney General is going to do something about it, around ensuring uh, that the country's rape shield law is respected in court. Uh, Simi, the Premier's comments brought a very, very sharp response from the defense in the case so there were defense lawyers in the case so uh, it's been reported there have been threats against them for these co- over these comments and other matters uh, defense lawyer Kevin McCulloch lives here in Victoria uh, he said he found the premier's comments disgusting he said that uh, the premier is fueling the hatred he said that the premier shouldn't even be commenting on what happened in court he should know better as a lawyer an attorney general former attorney general. And McCulloch said that this will have a chilling effect on the defense bar in some cases and may lead to wrongful convictions. So this is a fairly high-profile, heavily charged exchange between the premier of the province and a defense lawyer. And I doubt this is the end of the fallout over it. I expect uh, you may well see other lawyers in the Bar Association weigh in it on the new year, but the premier says the attorney general is going to deal with this uh, action is going to be taken.
1: It seems to me that like the, these comments, the politicians are weighing on in on them now, but there was just general outrage from the public when they heard about these comments. Yes. So if this lawyer has a concern about that, it's not politicians, it is the, the general public. Politicians are responding, I think, to how the public felt about those comments.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Simi. And I guess here's the issue uh, that of, of all the things McCulloch said to The Globe and looked. He can defend himself. He's a very effective lawyer. Uh, The thing he said was that, and and he says the premier should know this, when a court case is unfolding, it is up to the judge and the prosecution, prosecution first to protest, judge to rein in a defense lawyer that crosses the line. And McCulloch said that didn't happen here. So, what he's saying, in fact, is that our system works best when uh, the accused gets the best possible defense. That is the greatest protection against the Court of Appeals stepping in and saying it was a miscarriage of justice. So, I mean, as I said, McCulloch is capable of defending himself. What I find unusual here, Simi, is the Premier commenting. On a matter, uh, it's not before the courts anymore, but it is subject to an appeal. The premier also commented that the, the killing occurred in 2017. And here we are in 2023 with the case going ahead. The defense has said it is going to appeal partly on grounds of prolonged delay in the case. And the premier said that's a valid concern as well. So we saw... <clears throat> this year, David Eby intervening in the cases involving repeat violent offenders and calling for bail reform. And the year ended with Parliament enacting bail reform in Canada. It took a while, but it got done. And Eby can rightly say he led the way on that. You know, I think what we're seeing here is a, a premier who uh, went through the justice system as a defense lawyer. Uh, who was attorney general, and who is uh, redefining the acceptable limit of what premiers and attorneys generals can say about matters before the courts. I think you're right, Simi, that the premier has got the public on side in this case. I think a lot of people were outraged, Mm -hmm. but uh, as I said, I don't think this is the end of the pushback on this, uh, and there's another case as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about.
1: All right. We are back on this Boxing Day talking with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. You you mentioned another case there, Vaughn, that the premier referenced. Does that one have to do with Attorney General Nikki Sharma in the voyeur case?
2: Yes. So this is a new Westminster voyeur case and uh, fellow pleads guilty in the case. Uh, he has surreptitiously made videos of a young international student who is living in the, in his house. He's mounted a camera in her bathroom, and he's got nine videos. Of her in various stages of dress. Um, the controversial part of the case is that the judge uh, gave the accused. Uh, I think 30 months, gave them probation, 30 months, Uh, did not send them to jail, and the attorney general, and said, the judge said in court, uh, because there was an intimacy deficit in the man's marriage. Uh, The attorney general, you know, spoke out on it. Now, it's common to hear attorneys general and premiers uh, talk about the need to reform laws and change laws. It's less common to hear them speak out in specific cases, yet Nikki Charma, our Attorney General, did speak out. She said to her it identified a deficit in um, education and information uh, for our judges, and she was uh, going to uh, deal with that uh, through the Chief Judge in the Provincial Court, that uh, our judges needed to be more enlightened about cases like this and about... Making excuses for this kind of thing. Uh, There was a strong pushback from the Bar Association, uh, essentially uh, denouncing the Attorney General, uh, saying that AGs do not criticize judges in this country because judges can't defend themselves, and saying that her comments would bring the justice system undermine confidence in the justice system. Um, I think the reaction to those comments from the Bar Association was, no, it was the judgment in that case that undermined public confidence in the justice system. And Premier David Eby came out and defended his attorney general, Nikki Sharma, saying that she has his full confidence and that he uh, supports her speaking out on issues like this, And on that one, Simi, because you said earlier that, you know, there's some evidence that the AG and the Premier on the side of the public on this one, opposition leader Kevin Falcon defended Sharma, said he agrees with her opinion. In this case, he found the verdict disturbing as well. So, you know, I think we've uh, entered an era where uh, we're seeing more comment from our Premier and Attorney General on specific cases in the court. As I said, it's not uncommon to hear AGs and premiers say, well, we need to change this law or that law. That's, you know, in general terms, that's well within their ambit and that's what they do. Uh, It is unusual, however, to hear specific comments on specific cases, especially one with such an edge as we have in the two cases we're talking about this morning.
1: Exactly. So that, um, that does seem like a difference for sure in what has happened. I'm surprised, I would say, at the reaction, I guess, on the other side of things here is they have to have an understanding that there is public outreach here that politicians are responding to.
2: Yeah, there is. I mean, Eb says it at one point. He said in his interview that, you know, the, the legal system is extremely conservative in responding to public criticism. And I think he's put his finger there on a changing aspect of public patience with this. I think the premier is kind of sending a message to the system. Uh, To some degree, he went through this over bail reform. When he first started talking about bail reform, he was getting information from his own ministry because he was still A.G. at that point, that no, no, crime rates are dropping and that sort of thing, right? And and I'll give the premier credit for as he started to cast his mind a little wider. He talked one of the people he talked to was Doug Lapard, who's a former deputy police chief in Vancouver. And and Lapard said, you know, the mayors and councillors that are raising this issue, they're pointing to specific problems with random violence in downtown communities and their concerns are legitimate and EB turned around on it he stopped listening to his own ministry and started saying no there is a problem out there and we do need bail reform and he led uh you know when he when he first got brought up to speed on that last year so 2022 he led the crusade that went right across the country with Canadian premiers persuaded the federal government to toughen access to bail for repeat violent offenders now that law has been enacted and we don't know how the courts will respond but yes i mean i think you're right we're seeing um kind of messages coming from politicians themselves to the legal judicial system that the old way of doing things we don't criticize judges we don't comment on cases uh, the public isn't standing for it and some of our politicians aren't standing for it either.
1: No, they are not. And though I know there was something else as well that the premier vowed to change, right?
2: Yeah. He, uh, got a, made a comment on this case of a poor little guy, uh, uh, Carson Clellan, who shot himself up in Prince George, uh, lo- online sextortion, uh, the case. EB, EB has a nine year old of his own. And as he says, uh, my nine-year-old is telling me it's absolutely indispensable for me to get a, a, an iPhone and this little guy and uh, Prince George was uh, online and uh, different yeah, the programs story. of police. Uh, and, and the premier said he talked to the dad and BC is going to take steps in the new year to provide greater protection for children, give parents better tools for tracking what is going on online with their children,
1: I think that would be very, very welcome. I'm just curious how what shape that would take because well, that's, that's going to be very I hear challenging.
2: Your news that uh, one of the things I hear in your news is uh, we've now had a second province. I think it's Quebec, isn't it? That is banning. Yes, uh, we were just talking uh, about this completely yeah. in school, and I wonder if that isn't one of the things we'll consider here in BC. Uh, certainly, the premier said better tools to know what their children are doing online and protect their children online. Now that can be done through education, it can be done through technology, but I wonder if we're not in the new year here in BC, Simi, going to be saying, we may follow the, the lead of Ontario and Quebec and talk about banning devices altogether in the schools.
1: I that certainly seems to me something that would have to come our way if Ontario is doing it, Quebec is doing it. Can BC be next on that? Vaughn, thank you.
2: Bye, bye, Simi.
1: This is Mornings with Simi. More than a thousand people have signed a petition in Castlegar because they are upset at the decision to potentially do away with Pioneer Arena. Now, we say more than a thousand people in a town of eight thousand people that is a lot who are upset about this one particular situation. So we thought, let's find out more about this, right? Jarrett Leeson joins us now. One of the organizers of this petition, Jarrett, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. What is pioneer arena?
3: Uh, pioneer arena is, uh, is our second, uh, ice sheet in the city of Castlegar. We have our main, uh, uh complex uh, that has the pool, gym, uh, et cetera, in our main ice rink, but we also have a secondary ice rink that is the Pioneer Arena. Um, it was built in um, the late 1950s um, by volunteers with uh, volunteer labour, and it was also, uh, the land that it was built on was also donated by um, local citizens. Um, so it's been a long-standing uh, facility that, uh, that was provided by the public for the public.
1: Okay, and is it busy?
3: Yes. Uh, very busy. So there's, uh, uh, definitely a need for more than one ice sheet. Um, if we only go down to, uh, one ice sheet, um, in the area, that means we'll need to uh, move, uh, a number of our teams to, to neighboring communities, uh, a lot of our men's, I'm going to say, our men's or uh, adult teams will not have uh, will not have ice, or will have ice that is extremely late. And uh, also, some of our children will go down to one ice sheet, uh, one one ice time a week from two, or we'll have to practice, say, early in the mornings, like before school.
1: Okay, so then why why would they be getting rid of or thinking about getting rid of this other ice sheet?
3: Um, the ice sheet itself, yes, has been around a long period of time. Um, the Regional District of Central Kootenai has, you know, has, they've stated its end of life, but uh, they've never proven that. Uh, the, the last assessment of that uh, facility was done in 2009 and uh, showed it uh, the only, I'm going to say, uh, urgent item that hasn't been repaired on it is the, the roof cladding system, which was priced at $240,000 in 2009. Okay. so it's pretty small. Small cost to keep that facility operating.
1: And so, what what are the plans here? Is it are the plans here to demolish this building?
3: Yes, yeah. So we've been the RDCK uh, without any consultation of any uh, of any of the ice users or other users of the Pioneer Arena facility. Uh, released a uh, basically released a statement on uh, through through local news channels uh, in October. That that in March, when that facility normally uh, closes for the season. That uh, that it will not be reopened, um, and then the city of Castigar released a similar statement that said that once the once the facility is closed, they will want to take over the land and uh, and uh, put in uh, offices and apartment buildings on that site.
1: Okay, and so there was no public hearing about this. There was no discussion.
3: No discussion. They didn't even meet with, uh, uh, so definitely no public process, uh, no public hearing, no public vote. Uh, they also did not meet with uh, any of the, uh, the, the users of the facilities prior to uh, making this decision or uh, issuing the statements.
1: Okay, so this is a, this is a tough one then, isn't it, Jarrett? Because on the one hand, we hear all about the housing crunch and even small communities like Castlegar. Clearly, there must be a need for more housing too
3: there is um but they've we uh they have turned down uh offers from bc housing to build uh to build in other locations without providing any justification of why they've turned this down um we're not against uh building building the housing uh there's but we believe that there's lots of places in town and lots of land available in town to build to build this type of housing uh the what we 're against is uh building uh, or building this housing on a currently uh well used uh, recreational facility um, This has happened before actually with there's a uh, we uh, the Branson park there was a park facility uh in town that this that the city sold to a developer and they're building uh, they 're building condos on currently that was also a um, I'm going to say a very uh, difficult uh, touch point. Uh, the land was donated uh, by the by the Branson family for the for the park and an outdoor pool. Um, the pool had, had not been used in a lot of years, but uh, this is not the first time that the city of Castlegar has decided to do this against. I'm going to say the public's wishes.
1: Okay, so clearly the public has responded here, Jared, because to have more than a thousand people sign this petition in a town like Castlegar, that seems like that's a lot.
3: Yeah, well, yes, it's a lot, and actually, we're up over fourteen hundred uh, signatures now. Um, we've, you know, we've sent the petition and sent uh, sent questions to uh, all the city of Casper councilors and the uh, chief administrative officer. Uh, we've sent the same thing to the all the re- regional district uh, board board members, and uh, we're still uh, waiting to hear any uh, any response.
1: This must be very tough for the community because the things that make a community are the things that you can also do, right? Like you can go skating, you, can, you have these facilities available to you. Do you think the community will suffer if that's not there?
3: I definitely think, yes. Um, you know, we'll be uh, much uh, restricted to, on, uh, on having tournaments in our town. Uh, tournaments in our town bring in a huge amount of economic benefit, uh, because of all the outside, uh, teams and, uh, parents and siblings that come in, um, and, uh, going down to one, one ice sheet, you know, will definitely restrict the number of teams that we can bring in or the number of tournaments that we can hold. Um, so that, that's a big, that's a big issue. Are you
1: hopeful that they'll still stop and listen?
3: Uh, as long as that building is still standing, yes, I'm hopeful. So that's that. That's the goal: is to at least to at least delay this decision, um, so that we can uh, either have a plan to to replace the facility, or um, uh, yeah, again to keep to keep it operating. Um, we've had a couple of referendums. We had a referendum in twenty in twenty ten, and a referendum in twenty sixteen to do a uh, to an upgrade to the, uh, the 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 community complex facility that included the second ice sheet, and uh, both of those were voted down. Uh, I'm gonna say that both of those were voted down because they they've, they've um, the RDCK has never done the proper justification for why the uh, the pioneer needs to be replaced. right. Um, I think I think everybody would vote yes for it if it had a catastrophic failure or it was you know too expensive to operate or uh, or required so to you know um, many expensive upgrades, right. but they've never proven that.
1: All right well, Jarrett we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks so much for your time. Good luck. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, like so many of us, you may be looking in your fridge at some point today and think, what the heck am I going to do with all of this food? I mean, sure, the first day of leftovers is fine, right? But after that, you kind of want to do something a little different with all that turkey. So what do you do? Well, we have some suggestions for you actually, with the help of our next guest. Nahal Alwan joins us now, the owner of Tebe Foods. Nahal, thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me. First of all, what is Tebe Foods? So TaiBe
4: is a social enterprise, full-service full caterer and food processor based in Vancouver. We started in 2015 when Canada started receiving tens of thousands of refugees from Syria. And, you know, the refugees arrived from Syria seeking shelter and safety, but, you know, especially for the women amongst them, the lack of English language, new culture, limited professional experience meant that starting a new life here became extremely difficult. And so Taipei started with the mission of employing and empowering newcomer women from Syria and elsewhere in the Middle East by highlighting their traditional recipes and their family recipes. And so we started by launching the catering service that now became an award-winning catering service. And then later on, especially with COVID, we expanded into retail. We have a you know an amazing line of dips, uh, pita chips and frozen meals that are available in stores. And soon, hopefully in January, we have an upcoming restaurant in Kitsilano that we're very oh. excited to open soon. Yeah. Well,
1: I'm excited to check this out. I, there's nothing I <laughs> love more than connecting people through food i think it's just the absolute way to do it now i understand you also started with like a a holiday you serve a holiday turkey dinner what is that all about
4: Yes, we have an incredible um, Taibé menu uh, for Christmas and the holidays that starts with an amazing holiday turkey, you know, marinated in things beautiful Middle Eastern spices like za'atar, paprika, and then our amazing homemade gravy. And then the menu expands into beet tabbouleh, crispy cauliflower, roast potatoes, sweet uh, red pepper flatbread, and an amazing um, milk pudding that is a traditional Syrian uh, dessert.
1: Well, I didn't think it was possible, but you're making me hungry just because... <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten so much the last couple of days, but that sounds that so is what good. what we're here to do. <laughs> so can you help us do something with our leftovers then too, Nell? Yes, I have a couple
4: of amazing ideas, okay. of course, inspired by traditional uh, Syrian and Middle Eastern food. So the first one is a very easy one. It's a turkey shawarma. So, you know, you take out all the beautiful meat from your shawarma, uh, from your turkey, and then you pan fry it in beautiful spices like paprika, uh, sumac, a little bit of za'atar, cumin, coriander. Then you get your beautiful fried bread, warm it up. Then you use a base of either uh, garlic dip, if you have that, or you can just use a hummus, put the beautiful uh, turkey meat on it and then add some pickles, some salad, wrap it up, you know, and voila, you have yourself an amazing shawarma sandwich. The second one is a classical Middle Eastern dish called fete, which literally means crumbs. Uh, and that is a beautiful layered dish, almost like a poke bowl. So you start with a layer of toasted pita bread. You can put toast it in the oven or you can put, pan fry it then you add a layer of the layer of turkey meat the beautiful meat that you have from the turkey then on top of that you make an amazing sauce made by frying some onion warming uh, some yogurt a little bit of tahini and then you warm that up until it sort of breaks up a little bit use that as a sauce over the turkey and then you add some toasted pine uh, nuts nuts some parsley and voila it's an amazing beautiful winter dish very warming and very delicious okay. and
1: my last tip yeah i was, I was, I was use, gonna say i love this so all so far but yes go on the last tip
4: is never throw away the bone that is my personal uh, favorite thing to do after the turkey is done Aha. you make a beautiful stock out of yeah, that
1: that's what i'm doing right now it's on my <laughs> stove as we speak so i was just about to ask you, you what do i do with all that stock what do you, what should i do
4: So with the stock, you can make a whole array of different things. You can make any kind of soup you have in mind. We can use a little bit of that to make a delicious lentil soup. And the turkey stock is so beautiful, so flavorful. And then you can make it for it to use in any stew you might have. Just add a little bit of that turkey stock goodness in anything you're preparing and you're good to go.
1: What kind of spices would you put in your turkey stock?
4: Oh my God. I would put definitely, I would put cumin. I would put, we have what they call all spice, the seven spices that includes, um, cumin. It includes paprika. It includes coriander, a little bit of clove, a teeny bit of anise, cardamom for sure, salt and pepper. If you have these, you're good to go.
1: Okay. That sounds delicious. So you think that would be the good basis for a lentil soup? Because I usually do beans, but you're right. I don't know why I haven't been doing lentils with my turkey stock.
4: I think lentils are an amazing nutritional uh, legume. It's it's very nutritious, full of protein, and I think it would be an amazing base for every soup you want to make, except if you're making vegan, but otherwise it's an amazing base. And like I said, I know that it's extremely nutritious as well and it has a lot of flavor.
1: I'm going to spice it up just like you said when I go home. So how did this all get started? Was this just pop-ups that you were doing in the beginning?
4: Yeah, so really, it started, um, like I said, when Canada received many refugees from Syria. And at the time, I really didn't have any business idea. What we wanted to do was do something to support uh, newcomer women and help them meet Canadians to get out of their silos, you know, created by you know, you know, the trauma of you know having to leave their home country and maybe not being able to speak English, not being able to to connect easily with their neighbors. And so the idea started by putting together a series of pop-up dinner events where we would, you know, put some tickets out on Facebook, uh, find a venue that would host anything from, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 people that we can put together in a room, and we would put together, um, create a wonderful buffet Uh, of Syrian food items and just invite people to come in. And the idea was not only to come and eat, because most of the time people didn't know what they were going to eat. We didn't announce the menu ahead of time. People really showed up to these um, pop-up dinners to support Syrian refugees. And the one thing that we tried to create with these pop-up dinners was to create, replicate um, dining experiences in the Middle East. So you know, in the Middle East, you don't eat by yourself. Dining or eating, even if it's just your weeknight dinner, you sit down with your entire family. You eat, you talk, you connect over food, as you mentioned before. So this is what we tried to do. So we would have large tables where eight people, ten people could sit together, could connect, could make friends, and enjoy food together. And you know, we maybe repeated this idea around ten or twelve times. We moved these um, pop-up dinners around Vancouver, and we would have people that would show up to every single one of them because either they would make friends or they would feel connected to other people in the community and then with those pop-up dinner events you know our our team realized that we had a wonderful um, formula. People loved their food, and they were, of course, looking for a sustainable income. And at the same time, um, I think people realized that this is an amazing cuisine. I don't think Syrian cuisine was really known before the pop-up dinners. People realized that this is an amazing cuisine that they wanted to, you know, try over and over. And then, from that point forth, we started receiving requests for catering, and that's what led us to launching Taibe as a full-service uh, caterer. And we cater all over the low, uh, we cater and deliver all over the lower mainland. Uh, you know, from North Van to White Rock, we have an incredible menu that can be ordered through our website, including so many, you know, loved and popular uh, Middle Eastern uh, recipes and items. And now the restaurant is coming up soon, so I'm
1: excited. I'm assuming that your food ha- it must be amazing because you know people Nahal will they'll they'll see you and they'll see the idea and they'll go, oh yeah, that's a nice idea. I'll I'll go try it. But that. They're not going to keep coming back and go again and again and again if your food wasn't amazing, right? So you're doing I mean, something I, I, very I, I right. I might
4: be biased. I might be biased, but the <laughs> food is legitimately amazing. And we also, you know, we got, we were awarded um, Vancouver Foodies of the Year in 2017, the Georgia Straight um, Best of Vancouver a couple of times and several awards. So, I, I you know, we have a team that takes their food very, very seriously. And the beautiful thing about this is that none of our team members were trained as, you know, restaurant chefs. They're moms. They cook the way they cook for their families. That's the best cooking. Yeah, so it's food made with love.
1: Well, I love that. And thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about it. You've given me some ideas for my leftovers today, for sure. Thank you, Simi. Lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. good luck with the restaurant. That's Nahal Elwan. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, this is a tough time of year for a lot of people. Sure, it's time to get together for some, to have family and friends over and to share all these meals with loved ones. But what if you don't have that wider circle? It can really be a time of loneliness, a strain on relationships, too, for some people. So how can we deal with that? How does it get to that point where we think, you know what, we need to do something about this? Well, Yona Bud is with us now, a therapist, performance coach, and host of At Your Best. Yona, thank you so much for being here.
5: Good morning, Simeon. Happy holidays.
1: Happy holidays to you as well. Is this a tough time of year? Do you think for for people?
5: Oh yeah. Well, it, listen. It, it, it's 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 a, a tough time of year for some, and it's a great time of year for others. So it's a, it's a function of the lens that we use to to view the the holiday and how it personally impacts you. So uh, everyone has their own experience, but for many, it's it's a wonderful time. But for many, it's very difficult. Uh, to uh, keep yourself together well enough to attend things to go to things to respond to people to be somewhat social uh, try to put on that happy face for many people that's a that's a real chore
1: is it something we forget do you think yana because we're also caught up in our to-do lists and things that we have to do that we forget that not everyone is <coughs> feeling this
5: yeah, I think, you know, I think we we, uh, we tend to be a little selfish around this time of year for the most part, as much as it's a giving time of year. Um, a lot of our giving is frankly focused on how we can make others feel good and have them think that we're, you know, we're wonderful friends and we're good relatives and we do all these nice things. Um, so for many people, you know, the experience um, is, you know, almost, uh, it's not as selfless as one would think. Uh, but for many people, the whole experience of of being with people, the whole socialization piece. Uh, creates a high level of anxiety um, and makes people, you know, for many people, they don't want to leave their homes. And when there's all kinds of celebrating going on around them, it just exasperates uh, their sense of loneliness.
1: Is it about recognition? Do you think, because I, I know people will find this hard to believe. I actually am an introvert. So my, it's it's true. (laughs) It's true actually. And I get tapped Uh, out. And so my social, kind of barometer it I reach my limit and then that's it and my family they they know that they know that oh the first person to leave is always going to be Simmy, because she needs to go home and just decompress (laughs) is it about recognition do you think too about just recognizing that maybe I I just need to go for an hour or two and then pull back
5: so brilliant. f first of all, congratulations to you for being able to do that. That's such a brilliant spin-off here that we can share with people. Can you, you know, say you that? Can you say that
1: to my relatives? Because they always my cousins always are they make, are they, they listening? Make Hello, well, well, they're
5: Simi's my, relatives? They don't, they don't Hello, Simi's to relatives. Hello. <laughs> no, they're all they're all still sleeping. They're all, yeah. they're all still sleeping from they're all overloaded on food and whatever else you guys did. Uh, but I gotta tell you, it's like this. You, you have to know your own, like you said, you have to know your own levels of um you know, your, your own barometer. You have to know when it's too much or too little. And being able to say, I've had too much and I have to leave is remarkable. Not many people know how to do that. You know, being able to say no is a really big deal for a lot of people. So good for you that you're able to do it. And that protects you, frankly, from uh, some of the more difficult uh, experiences that other people have when they don't know how to leave, when they can't leave because of the guilt and the frustration and the pressure. Uh, no, come on, stay for another drink. Come on, stay. You know, oh, yeah. for a lot of people, it's, it's hard to get out the door because of the guilt and the shame. Uh, so good for you to know your boundaries and good for your family for allowing you to live within them.
1: I feel guilty sometimes, though, because now it turns out other people are relying on me to go so that they can also, oh, well, it's time to go, like Simi, Simi's going. So I feel that pressure in a way, but we, we, do, this, we do this to ourselves. So like on the one hand, it yeah. is so nice. We need the socialization, though, too, though, don't we?
5: Yeah, we do, but we have to do it in a way that works for us. So, um, you know, jumping into a big, you know, uh, large family gathering for many people, it may not be the best way to socialize. Maybe it's better off that they're attending their family, you know, their family this morning, you know, maybe they're going to see grandma or mom or auntie or someone that they're close to. Maybe they're they're doing that on a on Boxing Day for breakfast or brunch. And, and it's a little easier for them than when there's 75 people at grandma's for Christmas. Uh, but, you know, you, you touch on something, though, because it's good enough for Simi, it's good enough for me. And, and that's actually not such a bad thing, right? So maybe you're showing people through your behavior and your modeling, maybe you're showing people that if simi can do it, we could do it too. And that's kind of the whole purpose that we're, we're on the radio together here is so that people understand that people like you and me, I have anxiety, you know, I have anxiety issues. I have OCD, ADD. I got a lot of stuff going on. So I really got to pull it together and be organized. Before I right. go do anything, even if it's just dinner with my wife somewhere.
1: How do you do that then? How do you pull it together uh... and get organized?
5: Uh... Uh, so, setting setting a reasonable schedule for myself, being good with going. In other words, convincing myself that I'm good with going, and always having an exit strategy, always having a simi out. I'm going to wow. call that my I simi love- out. Hey, my cousins, my, call,
1: my cousins call it that, so you might as well call it that. Too. Oh, there you go.
5: I love them already. Maybe we're related and we don't even know it. But, but but you know, I want to call it my simi out, right? So having that ex, having that ability to. Um, to have that exit strategy that plan b okay i'm going to go for an hour if i don't i tell my wife like this we're going to go for an hour if i don't like it i'm not comfortable i'm going to leave you're welcome to stay and, uh, you know, she's you know, a trooper. She says, no, you're going, I'm going. Um, and we're doing things that I've never done before. And as I'm getting older, frankly, I, I'm testing myself even further and further because I'm, as I get older, I seem to be more confident in my own skin as opposed to less confident in my own skin. So that's allowing me to do things that I might not have done before, having a good partner that's my wing person who's going to be with me if I come or I go, whatever, right? Um, and knowing that I don't have to be somewhere I don't want to be. And that sounds like you're already there. So for those that are listening, you know, you're not forced to be anywhere you don't want to be unless you're incarcerated or or kidnapped. And either one of those are uh, we can solve on the radio right now.
1: Right. Exactly. But, you know, you make a very good point there. And that is that for you, you know that there's you you have to say to yourself, no, no, I can do this. And I'm going that is a hurdle, I think, for a lot of people, though.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is what I do. So maybe you can do it too. What I do is I draw from experiences. I've done this before and it worked out really well versus, you know, I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know what's going to happen. What if I can't leave? What if I can't find a parking spot? What if I don't like the food? What if I'm not dressed properly? What if people are staring at me? Right. All that kind of stuff. Um, now that I, you know, more and more as I get older and older, I realize that that doesn't happen. When I go into these experiences, they actually work out really well. I actually end up having a good time. So I draw from that experience the next time I have a negative self-talk moment where I say, come on, Yoni, you can't do this. When I say, no, 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 don't listen to him. Listen to me. Yeah, of course I can do it. We've done it before and we had a great time.
1: And even if it didn't work out, you can say, I'm going to do yeah. it differently this time.
5: Or it didn't work out and I was able to leave no harm no fellow.
1: Right. That's the thing. It's that, it's that reinforcement. I feel like that's yeah. what we fall down on, isn't it?
5: Yeah, we think, we think we're obligated. We think we're stuck. We think we're, we, we don't have a chance to, to choose, right? It's all about choice and boundaries. We don't have a chance to choose. And we always have a chance to choose unless we find ourselves in the middle of the country, country road somewhere in some place, you know, North BC, where you, know, you can't just get a ride home. Yeah. But that's just not good. That's just not good planning. That's not about mental health. That's right. about bad planning, right? What, what kind of so, stress
1: do we have on our relationships with other people at this time uh, of year? Are we putting too much pressure on each other?
5: Well, I think we put pressure on ourselves uh, with the, with you know, in friendships all the time anyway. Uh, I think this is the time of year where you have to kind of suck it up buttercup and put a smile on your face. I think that's what's expected of us. Um, it's a time of year perhaps where people uh, you know, can find the <laughs> – excuse me find the uh, strength and opportunity to to make amends right to to kind of uh you know put put a relationship back together that was maybe on the rocks for a few months um so i think the pressure around the holidays needs to be uh around being real and being honest but at the same time recognizing that it is one of those times of year where you wave and smile at people that uh, you might not normally do so but who cares
1: Right. And it's just this time of year and then we can retreat. For instance, I'm already looking forward to the fact that I'm working on <laughs> New Year's Day. Therefore, I can't go anywhere on New Year's Eve.
5: Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, I, I I'm the same way. I you know I, when I had a chance to 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 work over the weekends and over the Christmas holidays and so on, I, I jump at it because frankly I don't I don't really have other stuff to do anyway. Uh, family gatherings I have in my home under under circumstances that work well for me and for my family. Uh, and I got a pretty big family, direct family in terms of kids and grandkids and all that. Um, and make that work. And my wife and I do go out. We go to places that are outside of the city. So if we want to go to a, she wants to go to a Walmart, we'll drive twenty. Twenty or thirty kilometers outside of Toronto, and go to a Walmart in a smaller town. Uh, we just do things that are better for me because I can get around the parking and the crushes of people and so mm-hmm. on. Um, it's just it's just thinking, you know, just like you do. I'm sure you have to think ahead of the action so that you can plan the the reaction or the ability to escape if necessary if you feel like you're trapped and, and so on. Even in a relationship, you know, go to meet some friends, and if it's a friend you're not that you know that close that close with that that cozy, take another friend with you. Take a oh. distraction with you, right? Right. Um, and uh, that way you have a reason to get out. You know, we both have to go somewhere. It's been great, but we got to go. Uh, same for people that don't drink over the holidays. You know, you are going to a holiday party, take a, take a sober buddy with you uh, so that you're not the only one there that feels like you're missing out because you're not drinking. So it, it's just, again, the, the best way to get into the holidays is planning. I plan, you know, weeks ahead of time I'm, because that's the kind of person I am because of my ADD and so on. I plan this stuff ahead of time and I work to the plan. Uh, and if the plan doesn't work out really well, I have a plan B and sometimes a plan C. I love it.
1: I love it. Okay. Thank you for that advice today. We appreciate that.
5: My pleasure. And you have a wonderful holiday and uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime.
1: This is Mornings with Simi. Now, the Retail Council of Canada has done a poll and it says that 32% of Canadians want to take advantage of some kind of Boxing Day deal. And you think, well, 32, that's not very much. But those are the people who are definitely looking to buy something. If you factor in who's going to take a look, who's going to see what kind of deals they are, well, you get a much bigger number. So how much has inflation over the past year impacted this number? We're going to talk about the economics of all this. Joining us now is Dr. Ying who's an associate professor in the Department of Marketing and Consumer Studies at the Gordon S. Lang School of Business and Economics at the University of Guelph. Dr. Ju, thank you for being here. Happy to be here. Uh, do you think that Canadians are being very careful with their money at this, this year?
0: Yes, uh, I would say yes, because um, even the inflation rate is going down, but that doesn't mean the prices are lower as previous years. Um, I think we all remember last year in the, in the middle of the summer, the inflation rate is like a 7 8%. So the price actually are much higher than previous years. Um, even the inflation rate goes down to 3%. So I think consumers feel the financial stress not only from increased gross rates, um, increase in, in rent, the mortgage rate, the property rate, uh, property tax increase. It's accumulation of all the increased the costs. I would say consumers feel the pressure and they will be much smarter in terms of uh, buying things in Boxing Bay.
1: So even if the retailer has a sale, that's, it doesn't mean that we're going to buy because there's all these other things that have gotten more expensive for us. Is that right?
0: Um, not necessarily. People not buy. I would say people are really uh, savvy in a sense. They will compare the deals the retailers put out there, instead of just think, oh, that's a great uh, promotion, oh, that's a great sales. They are going to compare through different websites, different stores, and find the true, you know, discount. And and on top of that, they may. Now buying things they don't need. They may focus in on the necessities. I can't imagine mall consumers now might have a list of things they're going to look for the deals on instead of, you know, before COVID, we just go into the mall, right. doing a boxing thing, see whatever's going on, right?
1: Yeah, just browse and see if something looks good. And you're saying now they're going to go and they're going to look for something specific.
0: Right. I think people feel the financial uh, stress and they will not just randomly buy things.
1: Are we savvier shoppers then, Dr. Jude? Is that like, are we more careful now because of the economic conditions?
0: Uh, I, that's a really good question. I would say cognitively, we feel the pressure, but from psychological, point, uh, psychological aspect, if people go into the mall, if it's crowded, if they see everyone's buying, that can easily wipe out their rational mind. They may just go into the shopping mode and they will just start, to start putting things in their car because they feel like bye, bye, bye. Um, so, you know, for people who have, my suggestion is if you feel the financial pressure before you go into the uh, boxing day, um, like shopping, have a really, you know, accurate risk, uh, uh, shopping list and tell yourself, okay, I'm not going to be influenced by the crowd. I'm not going to be influenced by this purchasing uh, pressure from everyone else around me. I will just be focused on finding the things I'm looking for, finding the best deal I need and ignore other things right that, that that would be my suggestion <laughs> okay
1: that's good for consumers for for the people then but on the other side of things is there something that, like dr ju what do you think retailers can do to entice people to come in and spend money
0: uh, i think retailers probably need to put in more effort in terms of come up with a promotion plan a simple discount may not necessarily you know attract people they may need more message like helping uh, consumers to understand you know this is the added value and this is how you're going to benefit and this is not just a waste of money so if they can justify the necessity of their products or services they can attract more consumers instead of just giving them the dollar discount
1: do you think this will kind of set, set the tone for 2024? It'll give us a good idea of how people are feeling right now about their finances?
0: Yes, I think this would be a really good indicator um, because, you know, consumer uh, confidence is one of the biggest measures of the economic growth in the, in the future. I mean, now and looking into the future. I feel uh if consumer feels like they don't know how the inflation gonna go in the next year or two, they will be very cautious about the expenditure. Um I think we may not see uh people spend as much money as pre COVID. Um so I think the like econ- I think the Bank of Canada, you know, uh, increase in increased the interest rate. Now they achieve the goal by curving down the inflation rate, but the low inflation rate, that also means you know, people buying things still at the high price accumulate in the previous years. The inflation rate going down does not necessarily mean people will increase purchasing. Um, so I think that to build up consumers' confidence may take a little bit time.
1: Okay, so yeah, we still have some work to do. Do you think that the Bank of Canada is also watching carefully here? Like, will perhaps interest rates start to come down in 2024?
0: They are, I, I bet they're monitoring the economy and they making, like, on a daily basis. Um, I think the interest rate usually takes um, about to 18 months to have the real impact in, in economy, so... I think they will be very cautious if, if they want to, I don't, I, I can't make a p- prediction about the inflation rate, but all I can see is they achieve their goal by increase the interest rate to lower the inflation rate. I think the next goal would be how can we maintain the inflation rate, but not, um, but still see expenditures that allows the economy to grow the worst thing we want to see is no one spending money and companies not making money and they cannot hire people and then the economy just goes in a downward spiral. Um, So I think there's a lot of things we need to do. Uh, We want people to spend um, so the economy can grow. But uh, in order to let people spend, we also have to give them the confidence to spend money. Right. Um, Given, yeah, the current situation is you know, everything's more expensive. Oh, so, true. Yeah, it feels that shopping. way.
1: It does feel right? that way. Yeah. Dr. Ju, thank you so much for your time.
0: Yeah, happy to have a chat. Um, uh, wish everyone a uh, happy holiday and have a smart purchasing plan. <laughs> that's
1: good advice. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi.